From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. All eyes on the youth vote this upcoming election. But how do you galvanize 18 to 24 year olds to get excited about civics? We sit down with PA Youth Vote to discuss how young people can get involved in not just this upcoming election, but all elections to come. TikTok is a way to say, okay, in a funny dance video, you're gonna stop and listen to this trend, but I'm also giving you information about where you can find your polling place. And Shara Day Howard takes us on a tour of the Seventh Ward, featuring black history makers. Read this little blue marker that has about two lines, but there's so much more to know. All that's coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. According to the U.S. Census Bureau estimates, if Americans under 45 vote at the same rate that they did in 2020's presidential election, they will actually represent more than a third, 37 percent of the 2024 electorate. As we enter into a very contentious national election cycle, this is absolutely not a time for voter apathy or disengagement. PA Youth Vote is a nonpartisan collaboration of youth educators and organizers working to elevate youth voices, improve public schools, civics education, and also empower youth as civic actors. They claim to build youth political power and seek to change the policy and culture around youth voting statewide. Joining me today is Angelique Hinton. She's executive director of PA Youth Vote. Cameron Davis is Philadelphia's regional organizer for PA Youth Vote. And we also have with us 17-year-old Sarah Marion. She is a senior at Parkway Northwest High School. Thank you all for joining us today on Bridging Philly. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. All right. So tell me first about how PA Youth Vote came about. So PA Youth Vote came about back in 2020. I partnered with a teacher in the Philadelphia School District working for Michelle Obama's When We All Vote organization. Um, and we were charged basically to work with the school district to make sure that high school students were engaged but primarily registered to vote in the 2020 election. And then what happened was as I was working with students, I came in about two weeks before covid And I had an opportunity to meet with about six teachers. And all of those six teachers said the same thing to me, which was simply, I don't need you to help my students register to vote. I need someone to help them understand why they should be voting. And so I took that as a charge. And then at the end of 2020, we founded uh, PA Youth Vote to basically provide the why for young people and connect the dots between issues they really care about and how voting and holding leaders accountable can really create impact and addressing some of the issues they, you know, are really feeling the pain around every day. Yeah. Okay. I definitely want to talk to you about 2020. It seems like there was so much engagement around that time and it seemed like it's kind of fallen off a little bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get into that. Cameron, how did you get involved with PA Youth Vote? I actually started working with PA Youth Vote um, during that 2020 season, Miss Angie is talking about when I was working with Vote That John and when I was also a high school student, the co-founder, 
is, well, he was my social science teacher at Central High School. Mm -hmm. He was the person that helped me understand the importance of getting registered to vote, how my vote was connected to the issues that I cared about. So when I started working with PA Youth Vote, it was during that 2020 time when they were founded. And I started working with them again when I was in college. I went to Westchester. I was a political science student. And I was really passionate about helping people understand the importance of not just voting in presidential elections, but making sure that they vote in every election and how if they don't vote, they don't have the ability to vocalize how the issues that they care about and what they want to see changed in their community because they're not being represented. So I started working with them again because I really cared about trying to get young people and young black and brown people specifically to understand how important this mission was. So once I graduated, I started working full time for PAU Vote. OK, great. And you mentioned Vote That John. Is that a, that's another get out the vote type of uh, organization, right? Yes. And they do a lot of things that are kind of like social media based. Right. So when I was working with Vote That John, I was making TikToks um, with PAU Vote and Vote That John. And I was making chants about how's your voice going to matter if you don't vote, those kind of things. It was really artistic right. way of kind of expressing how I cared about voting. Yeah. I guess you have to meet young or potential young voters where they are on TikTok, right? Yeah. And everywhere else on the Internet. Absolutely. And Sarah Marion, tell me about how you got involved with PA Youth Vote. I specifically got involved with PA Youth Vote through my history teacher, Ms. Santana, and she had invited me and multiple other students to the Peace and Social Justice Academy at our school to present and come to the vote, like kind of like voters parade to get people off early voters day. Mm-hmm. And I had become involved by speaking at their event and creating a poetic speech called my voice, my choice. And so from there I was constantly doing different events with PA youth vote and I've stayed connected with them. Okay. Talk about the importance of, you know, keeping and getting young people interested uh in being civically engaged. I mean, if you have adults that don't want to be civically engaged, how do you generate interest in youth to do that? I think that's really important. You just mentioned, like, we have adults that aren't civically engaged. I think a lot of people forget that at one point adults were young people, mm. too, that were not, like, not cared about, but those connections weren't made for them. So what we do for young people and how we get them engaged is through empathy, right? We want to start by helping them understand how their lived experiences with their family members, their interactions with government, all of those things can impact how they see politics working for them and benefiting them. And what we do is we meet them first with empathy. Then we provide the education because you can't say, oh, this is how you vote or voting is important if you don't understand why somebody isn't voting in the first place. Um, Other strategies we employ is, like Sarah mentioned, we go into high schools, we give presentations, Uh, We really try to meet young people on TikTok. Different ways of engaging young people is really meeting them where they are. So if that's in school, if that's in social media, that's the best way to engage them is to meet them where they are with empathy. Right. And Angelique, you mentioned that, you know, the teacher says you don't need they didn't need help with you registering their students to vote. It's about teaching them why they should. Um, As we talk about adults who may be a little bit apathetic and, you know, how things are so hot in 2020 um, with everyone seemingly ready to get on the bandwagon. Things kind of kind of fizzle out. How do you go about explaining to young people why it is so important to be civically engaged and why it's important to actually register and to actually be an active voter? So I have the unique privilege of, in addition to running this organization, I'm also the president of an NAACP. 
in Norristown, um, which is in Montgomery County, second wealthiest county in the state. But if you go into any of the black and brown communities, you will see there is huge disparity and great deals of impoverishment, uh, lack of responsiveness. Um, I mean, all the way to no recreational programming. Schools are underfunded, right? Disparate representation in the criminal justice system. And so really for us, it's about me helping them understand that Norristown, right, or Pottstown, any of those communities in Montgomery County, um, they are voting in far less numbers than communities around them, which are typically more wealthy and more white, right? And so elected leaders are going to pay attention to the communities that are voting because they want to continue to be reelected. And if you are not a threat to them being reelected, I'm not going to go as far as say they don't care, but you're just not going to be prioritized, right, when it comes to where our grants are going, where our development is going. And so I really kind of use that as an example oftentimes is helping them understand young people in Norristown don't have recreational programming. Their library is falling apart. Mm-hmm. Their school is grossly underfunded, mm-hmm. and yet they're being disproportionately represented in the criminal justice system. And all of that is tied directly to our inability to hold leaders accountable because they see us as people who do not vote. And it's the same thing with young people. You can watch political shows and you will hear politicians be very disrespectful, but honest and saying, we don't go to colleges or spend that much time in high schools because they don't vote. We spend a lot of time in senior centers because older people Older white people in particular vote in the highest numbers. And so it's very clearly related. And so what we do is we just really try to help connect them when they care about, you know, the lack of representation in their school district. Right. Well, then we can go to the school board. Right. And we can raise those issues. If you care about disparate representation in the criminal justice system. You should know who your DA is and why judges, how they play a part in all of that. And so it's giving them situations that are impacting them every day, gun violence, right? Well, you need to know your mayor, council, create a budget that will or will not invest in programming that we know data shows will tamper that down, right? Or provide recreational programming. And so it's really at a hyper-local level connecting dots between things that they are dealing with every single day. And then the importance of, again, being that threat to elected leaders because they know you will show up and you will vote for someone else if they're not being responsive to your communities. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Sarah, I guess to sum it up, your voice is your vote. So when you vote, you're heard. Um, talk about some of the more pressing issues. Uh, I know that Angelique uh, mentioned some things like underfooted schools, gun violence, criminal justice system. What are some of the more pressing issues among you and your classmates that you're talking about that perhaps your vote, your voice, can possibly bring about change? I think to touch on what Ms. Angie had also said, school funding, I think that is very close to my friends and I right mm-hmm. now because 
we are going to school. We are the next leaders in this country. We are going to be the ones that rise to power in the next coming years, leaving us to be the ones that are making the decisions, the changes, and creating the voices for the next generations that come after us. We're not receiving the adequate funding for even the basic things that we need to learn in school with the funding. We're not getting the right and proper teachers in our buildings that are being able to adequately teach us the lessons that we're being taught. We are receiving teachers that are specialized in English that are now teaching our history courses and our science courses. They're not able to teach us the right material with the skills that they are taught to teach. We're not receiving the right funding when it comes to basic materials in our classroom, leaving our teachers to scramble to get the materials for us versus a school being able to provide it for us. And I feel like that is an issue that is most prevalent to my friends and I because we're living through it. Right. How many Sarahs are there out there? I mean, they're very impressive. I mean, you're expressing yourself so well. And, you know, I can see how you will be using your voice. Before I talk about you and your other friends and people at school and how they're engaged or if they're not, Talk about the other Sarahs out there that you're able to reach. Obviously, you're, you're reaching a, a good amount of young people. Yeah, there are plenty of Sarahs out there. Sarah is amazing. Um, but Sarah is a product of someone coming in and showing that they care about her, right? They're not just looking for her vote in a presidential election. We've been working with Sarah and the students at Parkway Northwest and students in other Philadelphia high schools long before the presidential election happened. So this is ongoing engagement to help these young people understand that issues like school funding, issues like gun violence, issues like what their community looks like are all impacted by their vote. And when someone helps you make that connection, there are plenty of Sarahs out there. It's just that a lot of these connections are not being made for young people. But if someone helps make that connection, you'll see them go out and vote in record numbers in elections, and it won't just be for the president. Right, understand. And Sarah, what are some of the ways that your friends are involved, or when they see you involved, what are some of the reactions that you get from them? I think a lot of the reactions I get from my friends are more of the excitement and encouragement of, like, keep doing what you're doing because they see how it has made some small changes. And also my friends, I get the... I almost get the encouragement, but also the push to continue doing what I'm doing. So I feel more engaged with what I'm doing, and it makes me feel like I have a purpose. And it shows that change can happen, even though like I'm one person trying to make change. It is like helping the situations. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that some of the youth come from households um, that are frustrated because they didn't see change when they, you know, when they cast their vote and, 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 and voiced what they wanted to see as far as change and became apathetic, I guess, to some degree. So I would think that that would spark some kind of an interest or fire in youth to say, well, let's be the change that our parents want to see, right? That's exactly what winds up happening. Um, I can say that because that's what happened with me. When I was in high school, uh, my family wasn't really going out to vote unless it was a presidential election. But because of my excitement and my engagement with this is how it really is impacting us. This is how we can really make a difference. I had people in high school taking pictures with I voted stickers when they went and voted at the polls. And my family members were also taking pictures, my church community. And these are people that felt this was during a 2018 midterm election. So, you know, people weren't really voting like that. But these are people that they see my excitement, how Sarah's talking about, and my engagement. 
And not only are they proud of me and wanting to encourage me, but they also are looking to me to help them and encourage them. So when you have a young person that goes and now they understand this importance, they bring it back to their community and they help kind of change that narrative that my vote doesn't matter because it's a young person voting. So then why wouldn't I go out and vote? Yeah. Do people, Angelique, um, understand, especially young people, understand how government works? And I ask that because uh, I'm going to give you an example uh, that I've recently learned, didn't realize this. Only 47% of Americans can name all three branches of government. 25% can't name any. And more than half feel disaffected by uh, the system of government and they're pessimistic about um, our democracy. Again, that just shows that there's lots of work to be done. There is plenty of work to be done. Um, And I will go back to Sarah's point about school funding. Um, Schools in Pennsylvania, there is a huge inequity. And Pennsylvania was deemed unconstitutional last year in a court case in how they're funding education. And so predominantly you have schools in black and brown communities who are grossly underfunded by millions of dollars. And so, as Sarah said, you end up with teachers who might not even necessarily be trained to teach social studies. So these students that we feel are apathetic across the board are not being educated um, on civics the way they used to be. And then you have this huge disparity when it comes to what a school uh, like Lower Marion has the resources to teach versus schools in Philadelphia, schools in Norristown, schools in Pottstown. Um, They are not able to teach these young people and most young people and even parents in those communities have no idea what government, uh, who does what in our local government. They blame the council for things that are school board's responsibility. They blame the president. You're going to see a lot of confusion in this election. Um, A lot of the reason why so many people are disgruntled with our current president is because they have no idea that he sets an agenda but you need the Congress to actually create the laws that will put those things into law and create policy. And so a lot of what we're doing is providing that education, going in to our community, meeting our community where they are and providing it in a way that is youth centered and culturally relevant so they can understand how all of this really works, why they should care who's on their school board versus their mayor versus their council. Um, And so this year in particular, we're spending a lot of time helping people understand, again, the importance of Senate and the Congress. Right. Um, The president, most people vote in that election because that's all they kind of know. Yeah. Right. And so we have to really be strategic um, in making sure that all young people get access to proper education. Right. To be citizens that are able to, one, understand, you know, like who does what and why voting is important, but also a big part of what we do is helping them understand once these people are elected, you have a responsibility and an opportunity to hold them accountable. Yeah. Right. And so we teach them things like that as well, writing op-eds, you know, going to uh, your council and raising concerns at the council meeting, going to school board meetings. All of those things are ways you hold leadership accountable But most times people in the communities that we're engaging in have no idea who does what or how to even begin to hold them accountable 
to being responsive to the needs of communities that are primarily black and brown. Yeah. You know, in the defense of, I guess, some families, you know, a lot of kids are coming from uh, backgrounds where they're first generation um, citizens uh, of the United States and maybe their parents just don't have all of that information and relying on their the school system to educate their kids, to teach them that. So you're picking up where the school system is failing. But I guess an important question is, what can we do to change that? What can we do to make sure that all children in the area are learning the same thing and they're actually being informed about civic engagement? So there is right now, um, the governor just proposed a budget and there is a substantially larger amount of money that he has proposed be invested in education. Um, I would hope that everyone who cares about democracy really encourages that our leaders in Harrisburg take up that budget and approve it because that's when you're going to get young people um, educated on what democracy actually means, how it's supposed to work, and then we can do a much better job of making sure everyone feels included in the progress. Otherwise, you're going to continue to see communities sit out because they just don't ever feel the benefits of participating in the system. Yeah. Sarah, are you, were you surprised at all of all the things that you've learned through PA Youth Vote that you didn't actually learn in school? Um, I think surprise isn't the right word I would use. I think it shocked me at the same time in the sense of growing up, I thought my history classes were engaging and I thought they were teaching me the things that they were supposed to teach me. And then it made me realize that I was learning out of a textbook that people created and that took out information and replaced information and mixed information where it wasn't actually what I was supposed to be learning. It wasn't the truth about the things that I was supposed to be learning about civic engagement politics. Yeah. It was politics based on one person's view. And mm-hmm. so when I was learning different things about voting, the turnouts, percentage rates, it shocked me to realize that like it really is such a lower turnout than I had always anticipated it to be because I was growing up going to the polls with my mom and I would see her vote. I would all see tons of people in there, but then to see the percentages of how many people were voting. And then when you put it to each demographic, it really showed that there's such a low turnout in some demographics. And for me, that shocked me. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I'm going to reflect, everyone can reflect if you want to, uh, (laughs) when I turned 18 and I remember a group coming to our high school and saying, okay, it's time to register to vote. And I was like, this is great. Yay. And I remember saying, Hmm, I need to pick a party. What party should I affiliate myself with? And I was told, well, African-Americans usually vote Democrat, so you should register Democrat. I tell that story a lot (laughs) when I can because I come from a two-party household and I know my dad hit the roof. Like, I can't believe they told you what party to um, affiliate yourself with. But that is not even the issue here. It's a matter of getting involved, whether you want to be Democrat, Independent, Republican, what have you. This is a nonpartisan effort. Yes, both parties have been non-responsive to communities of color. And so we are very much interested in helping young people understand, you know, again, how government works and who's responsible for what, and then providing nonpartisan resources for them to go and look. And we tell them to identify people that are on the ballot. There's never going to be a perfect candidate, but you identify the one that most aligns with your values. And then we hold all of them accountable once they get in office. And so we are very nonpartisan. And again, all of those things that I just raised to you um, that are happening in Montgomery County, right? That is, that's democratic leadership. So it's really about helping young people understand, right? That 
elected leaders pay attention to who's voting. Okay. And so as long as you're voting, (laughs) you are a threat to them getting reelected. Right. And so then you have a good opportunity to hold them accountable to doing what they said they were going to do and what they should be doing in response to the needs of your community. are some, if any, um, barriers to youth getting involved with civics? Are there any barriers? Does it depend on where you live? It depends on definitely where you live impacts you getting involved with civics. You getting involved in civics is also impacted by your family's engagement with civics. Like, is your mom and dad voting? Are your guardians voting? Are they talking positively about politics and the impact of their vote? The schools that they attend Is civic education something that's being prioritized when they're in the 12th grade? Is it being prioritized when they're in the ninth grade when it really doesn't impact them as much? When are we talking about it and how we talk about it can be the barriers to young people getting involved in civics. Um, But I think the way that you can overcome those barriers is by having open and honest conversations about, you know, history and having conversations about the issues that matter to us and like understanding that those barriers come from your socializations, the house, your friends, social media, things like that. Yeah. I guess you have to know how powerful your vote is when there are mechanisms out there that are trying to silence you that don't want you to come out or that make it difficult for you to cast your vote. So that has to show just how powerful that voice is and that ballot is for any individual Um, How does community play a role in generating interest, especially among young people? Community plays a big role in generating that interest. We collaborate with young people, but we also collaborate with educators. So that means we do stuff with schools. But the bulk of the work that we started doing was with community-based organizations. Because where schools might have the students in their vicinity for a certain set number of hours... The schools aren't doing the best jobs in terms of engaging those students, whereas these community organizations have the students and they have their engagement. So we'll work with them. Maybe there's a community organization that's tackling gun violence or there's a community organization that's just providing recreational activities for these young people. And we'll partner with them to help them see how what their focus is as an organization or as a community, how that ties in with civic engagement And that's a way for us to meet young people where they are right there. Okay. So we were talking about, you know, meeting young people where they're where they are and having open and honest conversations as a way to generate interest. And we're talking about TikTok and and the Internet. What are some of the more um, effective ways uh, that you've engaged in trying to reach out to youth that actually seems to be working and, and really reaches them? I love TikTok. TikTok is my favorite. I do a Black History Fact series in February. That's one way that I kind of get information out through education. Um, So TikTok is a way to say, okay, in a funny dance video, you're going to stop and listen to this trend. But I'm also giving you information about where you can find your polling place. I'm also giving you information about how you can research your candidates. So utilizing social media, which is a platform that also is currently being used to 
probably dismay young people from seeing how their vote is important or they're seeing things that might discourage them. If you combat that negative information that they're receiving online with something positive, that is definitely a way to get them out to vote or to at least say, you know what, I'll repost this and they'll share it to their friends so you can spread that word and that knowledge as well. Okay. Angelique, how are some other ways uh, that PA Youth Vote is able to reach the kids where they are? So, again, one way is working with the community organizations that are already kind of supporting young people, right, and then partnering with them to help connect the dots between the issues they're addressing and then understanding that government is resources, government is responsiveness, is policy, right? So that's one thing. But then we also do youth-centered events that are created by young people, for young people. And so uh, we do, for instance, a National Early Vote Day event. It's called Give Us a Ballad. And basically what we do is we work with the students. We provide the education throughout the year. Then we make sure they get registered. And then we work with the commissioners of Philadelphia to make sure that young people have an opportunity to do early mail-in ballots. And the reasoning is because they're going to go to college soon and they need to be thinking about having a plan. Are they going to go home and vote? Are they going to vote by mail? Are they going to change their address? Like, what are they going to do? And so this is, you know, part of our thinking in creating this event. And then we work with schools like Parkway Northwest, who is leading the, the way in some of this work to have a big march every year on National Early Vote Day. And what we do is we go down to Love Park. They march around City Hall, literally shut down the streets. We have a drum line, lead them around, and then they actually go and vote early. So it's empowering for them. But then after that, we have a party with a purpose, right? We have diamond cuts comes and DJs. We have food. We have 360 machines. And then we have like a lineup of young speakers that speak to the importance of the day and the work that we're doing and voting. And so it's really about making sure that we're changing the culture around all of this. I worked in the Senate and those were the worst days ever. They were very stuffy and boring. So we're trying to change the culture around it. And we try to make sure we're celebrating them stepping into their power. Okay, Sarah, what would you say uh, are some of the common misconceptions that people may have about youth and voting and civic engagement? I think they're really basic, that we don't care about politics, that we don't think our voice matters, we don't think change can happen if one of us steps up. And I think those are the central things we're told growing up is don't get into politics, kids don't belong in politics, don't involve yourself, this is grown folk business. And I think as soon as that was told to me the third time in eighth grade, I think that was my sign to know, like, that's not true. Wow. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. What is next for PA Youth Vote? You're just entering your busy season, right? I yes. would imagine. <laughs> the busy season has just started. It's honestly been booming since January. When 2024 hit and they said, oh, it's the presidential election season, we've been ongoing. Um, but something that we are currently doing, two things that we're doing that we've added into our roster of events is trying to make sure that we are providing education and programming for both adult organizers, educators, and we even have stuff for students. So the first one that we do is we do a call every month for organizers, adults, educators, anybody that wants to learn our strategies or use our resources and wants to find ways that they can engage young people around the conversations about voting. Uh, and that call is called Growing the PA Youth Vote. And it's led by our co-founder, Tom Quinn, He's currently a teacher, and he does an amazing job at engaging people and answering questions for how we can best support them. 
We also have student calls that we do every month, part of our PACE program, which Sarah is a part of. She's one of our student ambassadors, and that is called the PA Youth Vote Civic Engagement Program. And we'll talk to young people. They all kind of hop on a call. They're from Pittsburgh or all over. These are all statewide calls, by the way. And we talk about important issues. And if you want any information about these calls, you can follow us at PA Youth Vote on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us on Facebook that way. We're also on TikTok. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, and our website is org. So if you want any of that information, any access to our resources that we update, that is how you can find us. Angelique, you've done good work here with this organization. You've planted the seeds in so many young uh, future uh, civic-minded people, and it seems like they're uh, going to take it with them. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's been um, the most gratifying work I've done ever. And, you know, I was one of these students that went to an underfunded school that had no idea why all of this mattered. And because I lived in the, you know, impoverished community, I didn't see a lot of potential in myself. Mm. I never saw myself doing any of the things I'm doing today. So in addition to making sure they're understanding the importance of all of this, it's really also for me, I'm very intentional about trying to find ways to instill confidence in them and make them feel comfortable in using their voices to advocate for themselves um, in all spaces, right? And so they're confident in walking in any room because that's, if we want to get to a place of racial equity, that's what has to happen. Angelique Hinton. Cameron Davis and Sarah Marion, thank you all so much for joining us on Bridging Philly. Continued success. Thank you you so much. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Who are the Black history makers of the 19th century that lived in the 7th Ward in Philadelphia? Join Sharaday Howard on an adventure with artists and curators of the Legacy Reclaimed Tour on the latest Shara in the City. Something you may or may not know, located between 6th and 23rd Streets between Spruce and South Streets, is Philadelphia's 7th Ward, an important part of the Underground Railroad, also the Great Migration. Now, it was once home to a community of over 15,000 Black residents, including prominent Black figures like Octavius Cotto and W.E.B. Du Bois. Today, the 7th Ward is part of the Graduate Hospital area, Rittenhouse Square, Washington Square West, and Society Hill. And yeah, that's a lot of ground to cover, so we had to pull in the big dogs and bring someone in who could give us some really good to know info. Here we go. My name is Brittany Coleman. I am principal and project lead for Legacy Reclaimed. Sarah Kolker. I am serving as a project manager for Mural Arts supporting the 7th Ward Legacy Reclaimed Project. So Legacy Reclaimed Project, what is that? It's a tribute to the 7th Ward. It is a, a culmination of art installations, events, and tours that are focused on the historic 7th Ward. So that's a, that's a pretty big nook, but also, you know, it's kind of like Philly. It's big and small all at the same time because it has big impact. Definitely. Um, a lot happened uh, 
in the 19th century where black Philadelphians lived there. It was about 15,000 black Philadelphians. And today, about 7% of black Philadelphians live there. So, and now, which is the riches zip code, um, walking through the streets, you would never know the rich history and um, all that happened there between the black entrepreneurs, homeowners, and just a community that thrived. Gentrification was happening and started to push black Philadelphians into West Philadelphia, into North Philly. And so this project is kind of bringing that back, that attention back to say like, hey, you know, you read this little blue marker that has about two lines, but there's so much more um, to know and to get and to learn. So. So we decided to take a tour. Why not? But here comes the curveball. The tour starts at the iconic Mother Bethel AME Church, which was recently in the news because a vandal broke several windows, stained glass windows dating back to the 1890s. Good news, though, they were caught and they will be facing charges. Police say it wasn't motivated by hate, but rather a random act. Now back to the tour. Yeah, so I'm Amy Hillier. Um, I'm a faculty member in social work at the University of Pennsylvania. And I've been doing tours of the 7th Ward, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. Um, as a social worker and a social scientist and a researcher, I'm very interested in W.E.B. Du Bois' book, The Philadelphia Negro. Uh, and he wrote about this neighborhood. He came here in Philip to Philadelphia in 1899, born in 1868, right after the Civil War, one of the greatest civil rights advocates and scholars that we have had in this country. So it's a big deal that he came here. And then we've also got a couple of people joining us today. We've got Nicole and her daughter, Frankie. So Nicole, you excited? Yes, I am. This is such a coincidence that we ended up here this morning. <laughs> But we're excited about the about the tour. Timing's everything, especially when you're learning about history and Philly, right, Frankie? You excited? Yeah. <laughs> so we're at Mother Bethel. I saw you all reading the sign, and this is Richard Allen, who founded Mother Bethel. I will just tell you some of the highlights. So this building was built in 1889, but it was the fourth building they had for Mother Bethel. So it goes back to the 1790s. Um, and this piece of property that we are standing on has been owned by black people longer than any other piece of property in North America. So you now talk that's about, something. You talk about <laughs> Black History Month, like this is black history. This, this is our Black History Month tour, so. Yeah. What do you think, Frankie? <laughs> You're standing on history right now, right now. Wait, I mean, I've done it many times before since I went on many field trips to do the colonial study, but we never went here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me just tell you something a little bit about Richard Allen. He was born into slavery and he was able to purchase his freedom, which was not something that most people were able to do, but he was able to do it. And he came north, he came to Philadelphia, um, and he was a preacher at St. George's Methodist Church, which is just across Market Street. Um, and as a black man in a predominantly white congregation, they said, sure, you can preach, but we're going to have you preach Sunday morning at 5 a.m. How would you feel about getting up at 5 a.m. to go to church or 4 a.m. to go to church? Right. It's a little extreme. And so segregation, where black people were kept separate from white people, looked different in Philadelphia. So this was a, maybe a little more subtle than what you had in other places. But clearly it was a form of segregation. But it didn't stop black people from coming, flocking to Richard Allen's services. Um, the church grew. Richard Allen started Mother Bethel Church, and it's called Mother Bethel. Um, because it was the original. It gave birth to the whole denomination of African Methodist Episcopal. So oldest piece of property owned by black people in North America and the first AME church in the country, in the world. So they, they didn't have much money when they started out. So they just met for church in people's homes. And then it grew and grew. It was too big for the home. So Richard Allen, they purchased this piece of property and Richard Allen, they dragged a blacksmith shop here. And the blacksmith shop is where they had church. And then do you know what this is? 
This is a piece of blacksmith tools. We've learned about it in third grade. Specific so. to blacksmith shop. It's called an anvil, and it's where you would, you know, you'd bang the metal to reshape things. Um, and so they didn't have a pulpit. So, you know, you have this sort of fancy pulpit in a church, but it was so humble at that time. And they had a blacksmith shop. So this is what they used for the pulpit. The original pulpit was an anvil in the blacksmith shop. So you can see it's a very grand church now, but Mother Bethel started on, in these very humble roots. So one thing I'll say as we walk around the neighborhood, Mother Bethel um, is still here. This is the building that Du Bois would have seen when he came in 1896. And I, I think of it as the anchor for the tours. We, we start and end our tours here. Um, and it's the one place that we'll see that was started by black people and that still is used for the same purposes. It's still open. Many of the churches moved to other parts of the neighborhood as the black population decreased. Um, many are now condominiums or they're just vacant lots. Or they're, you know, they've been destroyed. Um, but this, this has persisted even despite the many factors pressuring Mother Bethel to pick up and move to another part of the city. I have no words. <laughs> You're like in a time machine. This is crazy, right? <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Alright, so what's the next hot spot? We're going to come to uh, see the first of the photographs that are part of the Reflecting Revenants exhibit uh, right here. So it's like right across the street. So I mean, Doris, well, you could walk right by it. And that's the whole <laughs> point is they wanted to have, so Amelia Carter and Beth Lewis are two artists who knew each other but had never worked together, two black women. Uh, and they grew up knowing a lot about this neighborhood, in this neighborhood, around this neighborhood, um, but, but wanted to know more about the history. So when Du Bois came and did his research here in 1896, this neighborhood, the Seventh Ward, was 30% of the population was black. Now, if you know this neighborhood now, you know that it is not one-third black. It's, it, right. Things have changed. 5%. Um, and also, it's quite wealthy. And there was a real lots of poor people, wealthy people, all kinds of people. Um, so what they wanted to do was to... And, and there's lots of reasons why the black people moved out, which we can talk about as we walk. But um, what they wanted the reflecting revenants to do was to have black people looking back at us, reflecting back and, and, and sharing their, the everyday lives of black people to the extent that we can. So this is Doris of Mother Bethel. That's the name of the photograph. It's from about 1970. Most of the photographs are from earlier than that. Um, but we see, so it was actually taken across from Mother Bethel, the opposite corner from where we are, but pretty close. Um, and I think just makes us stop and pause and think about um, who, you know, in 1970, which is the year I was born, like what, what was going on there? Who, who, who lived here? And what was it like for her to live in this neighborhood? Actually, Doris of Society Hill is actually what the quote, the, the name of the photo is. And Society Hill is this neighborhood to the east and is even even less African-American than, than um, over here, Washington Square West. All right, so what's the next stop? We're going to stop right here. Hey, Frankie, I wonder if you would be willing to read this for us. Read the blue marker. Lombard Street Riot. Here on August 1st, 1842, a riot ensued. Du Bois wrote about it in his book. We're going to walk, keep walking right by Star Playground. This was owned, this property, we'll come down this way. This property was all owned by Theodore Starr. So we're going to come around the South Street, and this, this is a good ending. These are the firefighters. So Engine Company, Engine Company number 11 was originally located in a different part of the neighborhood and if you know where the magic gardens are yes. so it's right next to there is an older version of engine company number 11. this happens to be now be where engine company number 11 is and they have a very proud history of black people serving in the fire department 
during from about 1900 till 1950, the fire department was segregated. So black people could only serve in engine company number 11 and did with distinction. So engine company number 11 folks wanted to have a mural. I also thought there should be a mural of Du Bois. One of the questions, how do you share these stories? Well, you can walk around the neighborhood and share stories. Um, you can go into Mother Bethel and visit their museum. Um, and we have murals. We work with a muralist named Willis Humphrey. And, and mural art said, why don't we put these together? Engine company number 11 and W. E. Du Bois' study of the seventh floor. So we gave the, the muralist um, pictures and he did some sketches first. So this is W.E.B. Du Bois sitting, you know, looking re very distinguished and sitting um, at a desk. Um, and his hand is on a map that unfolds. And in the original book that he published, The Philadelphia Negro, there was a pullout, um, think like a, like a, like the way the posters are in magazines now or centerfolds. It was a accordion map that you pulled out and it was color coded. So if you can see the other tour stops, um, we would we would go to see where Octavius Cata was killed, um, trying to maintain peace and allow black people to vote in 1871. We'll walk, walk by Church of the Crucifixion. And this is almost full circle. So when you're going through this tour, Nicole, you just toured Philadelphia in a, such a different way. What does it leave you with? It's, it's amazing that all of this rich history is in our backyard. This. What do you think you tell your friends about this? I tell them everything. I'm a big talker. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot to say about Philly history now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on X at Bridging Philly, myself at Raquel on Air, and you can reach Shara Day at Shara Day, that's D-A-E. For Shara Day Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. <laughs>